Hello, welcome to episode 13 of True Crime Time. I'm your host, Megan, coming at you from my basement apartment for potentially the last time. Not forever, just from this apartment. You know what I mean. Um, I have two podcast recommendations for you guys uh, for when you are done with this episode, obviously. Um, a lot of you may actually have heard of them before, but I just binged them recently. And I thought they were amazing, so I just wanted to kind of shout them out. Dr. Death is number one. It's amazing. I don't want to tell you what it's about um, because I don't want to ruin anything for you, but I do want to slap a uh, a trigger warning on that um, because there's a lot of medical stuff um, involved. So if that's something that freaks you out or makes you queasy, um, be careful. Tread carefully with that one. Uh, that's something that kind of bothers me sometimes, but I really liked it despite that. And also Dirty John, which I mean, it's been all over. They just did, um, not just a while ago, they did a Bravo series about it, which I will definitely be watching, but beware, it does deal with domestic abuse, not in the most expected way, um, but both were very well done. I listened to them on Spotify, but you can find them wherever else you get your podcasts. Now, just a quick commercial before we get going, and I will see you on the other side. Hello there, welcome back. Let's talk about Richard Begenwald. I believe that's how you say that. Consulted my mother. She knows about German words a little. I'm fully aware um, that I might not be saying his last name right, so I apologize in advance. So, Staten Island, 1940. Richard was born. Uh, There's not too much info out there about his childhood and parents, but we know that his father was an alcoholic who frequently beat him, so we're off to a great start right out of the gate. This understandably negatively affected this child, who at one point around the age of five set fire to his family home. Which, I mean, you know, I get it. He was sent to Rockland County Psychiatric Center for observation um, after that, which makes sense. So by eight years old, Richard is drinking and gambling, as eight-year-olds do. So clearly there are a lot of behavioral issues, which clearly are not at all associated with his alcoholic father beating him. Age nine, he was made to undergo electroshock therapy at Bellevue Hospital. Honestly, you know, initially, I I feel bad for this kid. He had some rage issues and other problematic behavior, but it seems like we can clearly trace the origin of all of this. It doesn't seem he was born evil, anything like that, like some of those terrifying kids on Dr. Phil, but I suppose it's possible. It's always possible. Um, Side note, you guys, my cats are insane the last few days. I don't know if it's the heat starting to get hot over here. But it might get noisy, just so you know. Um, so Richard Begumwald, after his therapy, he was placed in something called the State Training School, which I can't find a lot of info on, but for all intents and purposes, seems like a juvie-type situation in Warwick, New York, which is a tiny bit upstate in relation to where Manhattan is. He spent years there and apparently spent a lot of time inciting other inmates to escape, even though he never tried to. Uh, He was allowed to go on some weekend trips to stay with his mom and would apparently steal money from her, which is very nice. At the age of 11, 
he set himself on fire on one of the, uh, these visits. So that's a great sign. Um, I have a lot of questions about that. Like, was he trying to set something else on fire and then accidentally set himself on fire or was it deliberate? You know, I can't imagine any 11 year old or really any other person who just wants to light themselves on fire, but you know, what do I know? Um, somehow at the age of 16, he graduated from the eighth grade, which seems a little behind, but he was released from the training school or whatever and attempted to attend high school, which he dropped out of after three weeks. After his failed attempt at high school, Richard decides to go to Nashville to fulfill his dreams of being a country star. Just kidding. That was horrible. I'm sorry. But he did go to Nashville where he stayed for two years. During his stay, he stole a car and drove it to Kentucky, where he was arrested by the feds for transporting a car across state lines. He returned to Staten Island in 1958. So all this happened before and up to the age of 18, which says a lot. So we go back to Staten Island, and having learned his lesson from his first car theft, Clearly, he stole another car and headed on over to Bayonne, New Jersey, where in December of 1958, with an accomplice, he robbed a grocery store where he shot and killed the owner, Stephen Sladowski, who is also an attorney. Naturally, he fled the state, but was caught two days later in Maryland because he's a big, dumb dummy. I read there was a, quote, shooting, end quote, that involved police, but I think it was meant to be a shoot out between the two of them like they exchanged fire in any event Richard was extradited back to New Jersey where he was tried and convicted of murder and he was given a life sentence which he did not serve because he was released after only 17 years on good behavior and that some bull so he's back on the outside and worked some odd jobs over the next three years or so in 1977, Richard was suspected of a rape and wanted for failure to report to his parole officer. They arrested him in 1980, but the victim did not pick him out of a lineup, so he got to walk for that. Um, not sure if they had any other evidence tying him to the rape, but he should he should not have been walking the streets anyway. So what does he do next? Why, he gets married, of course. He and his wife lived in Asbury Park, New Jersey, where Richard met his new friend, Darren Fitzgerald, who would play a part in some of his future macabre endeavors. Um, in 1983, Ocean Township, New Jersey, a woman's body was found in a lot behind Burger King by children, I might add. There were no signs of sexual assault. Um, she was found fully clothed and was also found... Um, to have four bullets in her head. Who is responsible for this? Richard, obviously. He noticed her on the boardwalk in Asbury Park and lured her to his car. Just because. One of the things that should be noted about Richard is that he was a thrill killer. His motive was simply to kill for the rush of it, for the hunt. It wasn't for money. He, as far as we know, did not sexually assault his victims. I'm talking specifically about the murders here, not the potential rape I mentioned a minute ago. Thrill killers typically do not prolong their attacks. They get in and they get out and they are chasing the rush. That's what that is. 
Uh, according to Wikipedia, a friend of Richard's wife went to the police after Richard showed her a body of a different young woman that he had somewhere in his garage, which sounds insane to me because on one hand, he wants people to know that he did this. You know, he wants credit. He has like a trophy of sorts. But on the other hand, why would you ever do that? The minute you start telling other people about things like that, you're going to get caught. Not that I'm, I don't want him to get caught, which obviously I do, but I'm just saying, you know, maybe keep your circle small. Uh, January 22nd, 1983, Richard's home is surrounded by police where his good old pal Darren Fitzgerald also lived. And I'm sure his wife was thrilled about that. Somehow, they were able to lure Richard out of the house, I suspect before revealing themselves, because once his foot left the porch, they grabbed him. So it seems like it was a little sneaky, not in a bad way. Darren, though, he figured out what was going on and secretly, nope, and quickly, because that's secretly and quickly are interchangeable now, concealed himself in a secret room with several weapons. I've always wanted a secret room, not for criminal purposes, but like, you know, I don't know when you're bored of your family during the holidays, maybe you just want to disappear into it. You know, it's the kind that looks like a bookshelf. You pull one of the books, the door opens or the wall, you know, one of those. Anyway, the detectives were quickly able to find this room. So apparently it was not so secret after all. Uh, They searched the room in the home and found a ton of incriminating stuff, including, but not limited to, handguns, rifles, shotguns, a machine gun, pipe bombs, rohypnol, which is roofies for for the youngins, chloral hydrate, weed, floor plants for homes and businesses in the surrounding area, and a live snake, a puff adder, I hope I'm saying that right, and just venom collecting stuff. Which, I mean, can we leave the snake alone? He did not sign up for that. Also, not particularly sure how that comes into play, being that there was no mention of any of his victims being poisoned or anything like that. So, I don't know if that was just, like, for personal use, personal poison intake. Anyway. Darren is obviously taken into custody after he was found hiding in the not-so-secret room. He basically started talking right away. He also mentioned being aware of at least one body hidden in Richard's garage. He told detectives of other victims that he had helped Richard transport and dump, such as a body he helped Richard take to his mother's house and bury in her basement. He also told them that while he was digging the hole in the basement, he wound up coming upon another of Richard's victims, one that had apparently been buried for quite some time. All told, Darren Fitzgerald was Uh, able to lead police to five bodies. The police were able to locate yet another victim who had been buried in a shallow grave in Neptune City, uh, that's also New Jersey, a prison escapee who Richard had shot four times in the head. Richard's confirmed and suspected victims are as follows. Some I already named. Stephen Slodowski, mentioned before, was shot in 1958 after an attempted robbery. John Patrone, allegedly a police informant, he was shot in June 1978 in Flemington, New Jersey. Maria Cialella was shot and dismembered in November of 1981. She was one of the victims buried at Richard's mother's house. Uh, Virginia Clayton was abducted and murdered in September of 1982. 
her body was found about four miles from where John Patrones had been found. So that's kind of one of the links there. Uh, Deborah Osborne was stabbed in April of 1982. She was the other victim buried at Richard's mother's house. Anna Olshowitz, I want to say, was the victim who had been located behind the Burger King in August of 1982. Referenced her before. William Ward was the prison escapee I mentioned last. He was shot in the head four times, just as Anna was. And Betsy Bacon, who disappeared in November 20th, 1982. So just to be clear, I think it's important to call attention to the victims and be upfront about what happened to them without being too graphic. Not only does it help to establish profiles of killers so we can better identify them, but it helps us to remember and honor those who can no longer speak for themselves and deserve justice and deserve for their stories to be told. Richard was charged with five counts of murder, first degree, obviously. His former friend was a witness for the state. Apparently, his mistress or ex-mistress Um, which I just want to side note that was not in any of the initial articles I read. I had to dig around to find that, so I'm not sure where she came into the picture. But his mistress testified and stated he had her touch one of the bodies of the victims he had kept in the garage, which is nauseating. So it's clear at this point, not only is he a thrill killer, but a trophy killer as well, which combined is probably one of the most demented types out there. Um... He was convicted and sentenced to death. However, his sentence was commuted to four life terms. He died in prison in 2008 of semi-natural causes, which nobody cares about because he was a disgusting excuse for a human being. The end. So that's Richard Beganwald for you. little quick one for you this week. Um, While not particularly graphic, something about this guy in this case just... I just found it so sickening while I was, you know, doing the research and, and writing about it. It was just so awful. So want to put out a call to you guys to send your stories in. I'm going to keep reminding you guys. I love reading your stories. I still have some on deck, ready to go. That's true crime, paranormal, whatever goes on, you know, send it to us. We want to read it by direct message on Instagram is fine. Um, also please come find us at the Instagram page, which is all lower create, uh, lowercase. I can't talk again. I've said that for like three or four episodes, uh, true crime time, all lowercase again. In the next day or two, there will be pictures posted related to this case, as well as a bunch of other stuff like true crime memes, book suggestions, and sometimes pictures of my cats. Also, if you like what you hear, Please rate, review, and subscribe, especially you iPhone people looking at you. Otherwise, I'll see you guys next time. And until then, lock your doors and windows.